Welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. This is part two of two, I guess that's self-evident, of a conversation I had some time ago with Peter Geffen. The first part was dropped last week. Uh, Here it is, Peter, um, a great voice of the Jewish people, uh, the founder of the Abraham Joshua Heschel School, the founder of the Kivunim program, and a past youth director many, many years ago at Park Avenue Synagogue. Thank you for joining Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. Here's Peter Gaffin. Um, so, you know, and his involvement moved. He wasn't restricted to one area of concern. Civil rights was the beginning when he faced the war in Vietnam, he was a person who, who said very clearly, I cannot pray while innocent civilians are being burned with napalm in Vietnam. I can't, I can't participate in religious life while people's lives are being taken in my name as an American. And he began with uh, two extraordinary Protestant ministers, the organization that was then called Clergy and Laymen, concerned about the war in Vietnam. And one of the most amazing evenings took place on April 4th, 1967, literally one year before King was assassinated, where Heschel had convinced Dr. King against the advice and direction of the whole civil rights movement leadership who were worried about uh, what the President of the United States might do with regard to progress that was being made on black rights and funding of projects if uh, King came out against the war that the president supported, they didn't want him to speak out against the war. Heschel kept prodding him and finally convinced him. And on that night of April 4th, King gave one of the most extraordinary talks of his life. And Heschel coined for that night this extraordinary phrase, in a free society, some are guilty, all are responsible. And, And again, as I said before, imagine somebody in his sixth language just putting the words together in that way, it's really extraordinary. Can I tell one other story? Yeah, I, and but please tell the story of uh, on in those dark days when uh, King was assassinated. So, so when King was assassinated, I had, as the biography indicated, I had uh, before I came to work at Park Avenue when I was 19 and 20, I spent the summers working in Orangeburg, South Carolina, for. Um, the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, on their summer civil rights work in, in, uh, in the South. And uh, I should just add, by complete coincidence, any of you who go back a long way will remember that we once had an extraordinarily wonderful um, African-American uh, member of the service staff of the Park Avenue Synagogue named Larry, I forget his last name. And Larry, remember, big Larry, he's a big guy. And one year, one year he came to a King Day program that we were doing in the high school. And he heard me say that I had worked in Orangeburg, South Carolina. He came up to me afterwards, he said, Peter, I grew up in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to imagine how the world could be so small. So when King was assassinated, I and one of my closest and dearest friends to this day then Mickey Schur of Detroit, Michigan today, Rabbi Moshe Schur, the retired now Hillel director at Queens College for 35 years and a really wonderful person and friend. Um, Mickey and I were technically still staff members of the SCLC. So we went to Atlanta to participate 
and help staff the funeral. We were given three jobs. I will tell you about two. One was on the night before the funeral to go to the airport and pick up Rabbi Heschel and bring him to meet with Coretta, who had asked him to participate in the funeral the next day. That was task number one. Task number two is a different story. You'll invite me back. But, um, but if you remember the funeral, his body was borne through Atlanta on a wooden farm wagon by two mules. Mickey and I, at 4 o'clock in the morning, on the morning of the funeral, had to go out to a farm and bring the second mule because the second mule who was invited had not appeared. And you know, <laughs> mule, mules are stubborn. And so, you know, we, we were sent. But the third story is in many ways the most meaningful, which is that here we are, 1968, we're, you know, we're 22 years old. And after the funeral service, Dr. King was buried. The service was in the Ebenezer Baptist Church. He was buried originally on the grounds of Morehouse College, which is on the other side of Atlanta. So there was a long procession, and there were people who came from all over the world to attend this funeral. There were no cell phones, there was no bottled water, and there was a concern about all these international guests. So every staff member who could be recruited was recruited and asked to accompany one of these international or national guests as they walked through the streets. Mickey and I were asked to, net, to, to walk and accompany two people. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and Senator Robert Kennedy, who himself would be dead of an assassin's bullet two months later. This, I mean, sometimes I'm not sure that the story is real, but it is real. As we were walking through the streets, 22 years old, John Kennedy has been killed five years earlier, now Martin Luther King. It felt like the world was simply ending. And at a certain point, I sort of threw up my hands and I said, Rabbi Heschel, what, what are we to do now? Because it felt so hopeless. And as was often the case, he did not answer right away. He kept walking, and then at a certain point, he turned around and he said, you must teach the children, you must teach them a Judaism that can remake the world. And then he kept walking. Now, first of all, just for the benefit of your knowing what he was talking about, we're most of all familiar, I'm sure, with the first paragraph of the Shema, where it says, you shall teach them diligently unto your children. Vishinantem Levanecha is what's in that first paragraph. But if you get to the second paragraph, the term is velimaratem otam, and you shall teach them in the imperative form. And that's what he was quoting. Now, I was 22 years old. What he said went in one ear, went out the other, and I completely forgot about it for 20 years. But in 1992, the Heschel School was holding a 20th yard site observance. And I was sitting at a table with a group of people planning this event, and I had a flashback to this experience. Now, I wouldn't say it would be audacious to say that I did what he told me to do, but I have tried to do what he told me to do, and I certainly tried to do what he told me to do here at the Park Avenue Synagogue, where, where we, with the really extraordinary support of Rabbi Nadich, had a school which stood on principles. In this physical space, we you know, ran a center against the war in Vietnam, which to say the least was a little controversial. But basically, can I sneak in another Park Avenue story? No, because it's, because it's reminding me of something extraordinary. When I left in 1985, we had a party, and the president of the Park Avenue Synagogue in 19, 
68 and 69 was a man named I.B. Osius, very distinguished attorney, Phi Beta Kappa Chi, very, always perfectly dressed, very conservative person. And he came on a, a morning that we put up this whole display against the war in Vietnam, Park Avenue, Synagogue High School against the war in Vietnam, in the storefront on Madison Avenue, which was then, you know, where this building is now. That's not really allowed by law even. And the board was furious. And they told IB, you gotta go tell those kids, they gotta get this out of here and tear it all down. He came into the storefront and he explained to the students very nicely and he wanted to have a conversation with them. And the oldest at that point was like 15. So nobody spoke. And, and we took it all down and that was the end of it. In 1985, when I was leaving, his wife read a letter that he had written from his sickbed, eventually his deathbed, in which he said that that moment was the greatest failure of his life because he could not get those young people to respond to him and he felt like he had really failed. And when I stood up to speak, I said, I thought that was the greatest moment of his life that he came before those students and he asked them to speak to him and he didn't just close the door on them. And that was the spirit here which is linked to Heschel because it's all part of the whole story in the moment without any question. And, and just a technical thing, but um, we have several members of the leadership and a lot of members of the synagogue. It, it is true, am I correct, that originally the Heschel School was the Abraham Joshua Heschel School at Park Avenue Synagogue. That's correct, that's correct. The, 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 I, I had this uh, idea uh, I wrote it down, wrote up a page. In those days, there were a lot of people who had ideas about alternative Jewish schools. It was mostly on the west side. They would put up a flyer on a street lamp and say, meet at Molly's on Wednesday night to discuss what, if you're interested. And 20 people would show up with 20 different ideas and you'd walk out of the door and there was no school. So I wrote a sort of manifesto and said to all of my friends, if you're like what I'm talking about, join me, and if not, forget about it, do something else. So he was here. And I went really quite a long distance, um, including a brochure that, that Liz Greenstein's mother prepared quite beautifully. Does it still exist anywhere? We have copies of it, yeah. Yeah, we have copies. But the board of the Park Avenue Synagogue, when they discovered that brochure about to be mailed from the desk at the front door, were a bit upset. <laughs> and, um, and so they said, you can't do this. And then it came to a board meeting and there might even be some people here who were at that board meeting. There were supporters, there were negative. But interestingly enough, you know what the real, one of the real critiques was that the ceiling of all the floors in this building originally were too small, too low, and that it wasn't a place for a day school, which I think in the end proved to be correct. But I have a dear friend in the audience our former Attorney General, Bob Abrams, who's sitting over here in the corner, who, who, when I went to him, I said, this is really terrible, you know, we have no home, and we just got thrown out, and this, is, this idea is, gonna, is just gonna fail. And Bob said to me, look, if you wanna work in the public sphere, you're gonna constantly be at odds with somebody or another. So if you wanna be in the private sphere and own a business, then you'll do whatever you want. But if you want to work in the public sphere, including the Jewish public sphere, then you're going to have to take a lot of blows in order to get to what you want to do. And he was 100% correct and remains my dearest friend to this day. So, you know, that, that it, these are complicated 
but wonderful stories. Right. And, yeah. and, and we're going to take questions, but this year, 2023, marks the 40th year? 40th year. I'm 40th just, year. I'm just... I'm just wearing a gray wig, you know. All right. No, but the truth is that my whole life's work has been really with older or younger teenagers. And so even to this day, in other words, the Kivunim program that, uh, that her, you heard reference to in my introduction, where I've had the privilege to you know, travel all over the world with students on a full year program is still you know, with teenagers, 18, 19 years old. And, it's, um, and it all started here, so it's very powerful. But it obviously all started with Heschel because those words really did, you know, they made an impact. And that's the way he was. His, he, he believed in the power of the word and he used the power of the word. Right, let's open it up. Let's have a, we have time for a few questions. Um, wait, Julie, you don't even have to, uh, wait, um, we have a, just someone in the back. Yeah, nice and loud, yes. Question is a short statement with a question mark. Short statement. Peter, you might remember when Heschel was one of those who went up against the Jewish establishment in order to help launch the Soviet Jewry movement in this country and took part in some of the first major manifestations for Soviet Jews. And he was sorely criticized, if not quietly, but certainly defiantly, by many of the large Jewish organizations who said, you can't rock the boat. He didn't answer. He just helped rock the boat, and he brought in Martin Luther King as one of the participants and leaders of that movement. Yes, so Jerry, that's 100% that correct. You know it better than anybody as the former head of that whole movement. And um, in particular, in the period between the early 60s and 1967, when there were still diplomatic relations between Israel and between, certainly between the United States, but between Israel and the Soviet Union, the Jewish establishment didn't want to rock the boat. And, and Heschel is the person responsible, as you know, for sending Elie Wiesel as a young writer to the Soviet Union that became the book, The, the Jews of Silence which was one of the most powerful motivators towards the creation of the whole Soviet Jewry movement. But he also said that American Jews would never regret what they would do for the Jews of the Soviet Union, where protest, in Heschel's view, would lead to a change in policy, because he had an understanding of the Soviet Union that most Americans did not have. He, he, he felt that they were responsive to critique and to criticism. And, and that's really, it's a very powerful piece. Do you want to talk at all about Nostra Aetate? Uh, yeah, I'll, we'll circle back there, but uh, yes, sir. Um, Peter, you've spoken so eloquently about Heschel's words. I'm wondering what you think about his presence as his presence as an ally. I think of the images, uh, the march following the um, Bloody Sunday march, when he went to Selma with Dr. King and the presence of him standing in that row of clergy folks in this era today where allyship is such an important, um, such an important thing, what do you think he teaches us? So first, I just would say that we're, we are in trouble and we have a lot of work to do. And actually, Rabbi Cosgrove's sermon of a few weeks ago, if you were not in shul, it's online and you should hear it because he issues the, the call for our reestablishing relationships that have been allowed to deteriorate. Because that image of Heschel on that line of march in Selma 
is of course about Selma and civil rights, but it's also about an era where people were not being judged on a series of criteria as to whether they could be included in this movement or that movement on this side or that side. The purity of identity that is being required today, including within our own community, and we certainly are now about to see it explode in the state of Israel. Th these issues are critical today, and they were very different at the time. So when Dr. King received the injunction from the federal court to protect the marchers from Selma to Montgomery, he immediately called Heschel and said on a, on a Friday morning, the issue was, the, the legal decision was made. Friday afternoon, he called Heschel. He said, Rabbi Heschel, I need you by my side on Saturday night. Heschel went, flew to Montgomery, and was picked up and taken to Selma. He went at the risk of his life without any question. The only thing worse than being a black activist in the South was being a Jewish activist with a beard and wearing a kippah as an activist in the South with those blacks. And when Heschel returned, that's when he famously said that when I was in Selma, I felt as if my legs were praying. It's extraordinary. You know, in other words, Heschel was not somebody who like made up, you know, made up poetry uh, for a gimmick. That was really what was in his heart and soul. So his presence was critically important, both for Dr. King and the civil rights leadership but also for the Jewish community. Because at that moment, everybody had to decide, which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Because the Jewish community had sat on the fence. The establishment did not want to take a position. They did not want to be overly involved. All the Jews in the South, we were worried about all the Jews in the South. And I can tell you, at the time in 1963, I was the national president of the United Synagogue Youth, the youth movement of the conservative movement, we had students from the South who said that our support for Dr. King and the civil rights movement was endangering their families and their communities. Legitimate, yes, legitimate. But that was the test. And later, as the years went on, the test was answered by withdrawing, by keeping a distance, by being safe. So Heschel's involvement there was critical. Now the critique today, and I think you quote it too, is enough with rabbis or people like me having that picture on the wall of our offices and no action in the streets. Because if you think about it, in this unbelievably wealthy city, in this unbelievably wealthy country, we still have children who go to bed every night without food in their stomachs. And if that is the case, then all the things that Heschel stood for, civil rights, Vietnam, Soviet Jewry, all these issues, in the end, the real teaching is that there are prophetic opportunities in front of every generation, and that's our job. That is our job. Right, and I just want to add one, one thought on a narrow, sir, um, question you asked about the importance of allyship. I, I think it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and you can probably trace this thought in some recent sermons of mine, that it is important for us to be involved in the issues of the day because it's important to be involved in the issues of the day. But at a certain point, as I step out of my skin, I realize that I'm the rabbi of Park Avenue Synagogue. And I realize that what happens at Park Avenue Synagogue signals to 
a lot of other communities what's kosher and what's not kosher. And so if a mosque gets attacked, if there is an issue affecting migrants at the border, if there is um, a position that is a little uncomfortable for the organized, what's called the OJC, the organized Jewish community to get involved in, when Park Avenue Synagogue puts its stamp on that, that signals a lot more than just us in this room. It, it, it signals to the community at, at large. And so, sir, I think your, your question is not just a good question, but it's a good call to action uh, for our community to consider. By the way, Elliot, um, I just want to add. And I see Joan Davis's hands oh, okay. up there. But please. Well, all I wanted uh, we to have add about to that is uh, five minutes. that, that um, you know, some of you actually have traveled with me in recent years to Morocco where I've been doing a lot of work. And I don't have time to talk about what, what's involved and in, in that issue, et cetera. But what you just said is also true even for the littlest of organizations. In other words, the, my communications today with the, with the Royal Palace in, in Morocco are because Kivunim, which is a little project with 50 kids every year, is stepping out of the ordinary long before the Abraham Accords and on a very deep and significant level. So I think you're right, but we shouldn't think, we shouldn't limit it only to the, the big and significant institutions because institutions, large and small, can become significant if they stand up. And that was one of, you know, Heschel's most important pieces was to, to dramatically call upon us to have the courage to simply stand up. Once we do that, we enter that prophetic tradition and the implications are not necessarily sitting in front of us. We, we don't know where it will take us. Uh, Joan, we'll give you the, the last question and Peter, any closing remarks you. you have? Despite the NRA, I don't think it would be considered controversial to ask what do you think that Heschel would say right now about the violence in our streets, about gun violence, and, and I must express the feeling that as Heschel and Dr. King coalesced the faith leaders of all the churches and, and synagogues and other faith groups to march in the South for civil rights, I cannot believe that this would not be a time when such a coalition could make a huge difference on our present crisis. I grieve almost every single day. It's an outrage. Questions for both of you, maybe. Yeah, I guess. What I would say, Joan, is this, that um, it's, of course, unfair to suggest that we would know what anyone who is no longer alive would say about X. I think your instinct, of course, is, is correct. But maybe the answer is a better answer. Maybe if we had been privileged, which we were not, to have had both Heschel and King live out a full life, that America would be a different place today. You know, remember what Heschel said when he introduced King, the whole future of America will depend upon Martin Luther King. So there may be real truth in what Heschel felt. After all, he clearly 
with something running in his veins that was of this prophetic order without you know, having had a transfusion or he had a spiritual transfusion as a child. Something happened. Um, and w what I would conclude with is the following. I often, at the end of the school year at the Heschel School, I'm asked to speak to the senior class about Heschel. And I give, uh, pre-COVID, I give um, uh, a, a talk for an hour and a half, two hours, with a couple of breaks, and et cetera. We cover a lot of ground. And not every year, but every once in a while, someone in the back row, which means something, you know, I see a lot of people we're, we're here. Jones sitting right. right now. No, no, here it's involuntary because they just were late, but in a classroom, <laughs> in, cl in a classroom, you can tell by the laughter that there is a certain percentage of people in the room who know what I mean. Anyway, in the back row, somebody will raise their hand and say, is there a Heschel today? And my answer to them is, there is a Heschel for tomorrow sitting in this room, sitting in that classroom. And the only difference between it being realized and unrealized is whether and how you spend the next eight or 10 years of your lives. Because, you know, it's an interesting thing. I am interviewing really outstanding young people for Kivunim every year from all over the country. These days, I, and I ask everybody, do you have any career goals? You know? So these days, meaning the last several years, it's been growing, but now it's pretty pre predominant. I have almost no one who says, I want to be a doctor. I have very few people who want to say, I want to be a lawyer. Uh, no one who wants to be an academic or a professor. And almost everybody who wants to go to Wall Street and make a lot of money. Now, at the Park Avenue Synagogue, would be sort of foolish to say that we don't think that's a good thing. We're in this room because there were a lot of people who made a lot of money. That's, you know, the, 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 the territory. But America is in the danger that Heschel felt in his guts all throughout his life. If we do not continually renew our commitment to the higher values, just the fact that social movements of our time would think twice or three times before calling for a public meeting in a synagogue or a church, whereas in those years, that was the place to be when Riverside Church was the home of that demonstration against the war in Vietnam, everybody came, whether you were a believer or not. If Riverside Church announced a demonstration today about X, Y, or Z, they'd get their members, but that would be all. Everybody else would feel this is not the right place, etc. We have an obligation. We are, you know, almost everybody in this room are grown-ups. We have an obligation to make certain that the education that we give our children will, in fact, make it possible to produce another Heschel and another king. And um, wow. you're welcome. thank you so much uh, to you, Peter. Um, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in Shul. Hallelujah, Hallelujah.